online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. Welcome to Flavor Talks with Bella Zoo. I'm Robert Kirbishley. Bella Zoo's new podcast, Flavor Talks, is all about extraordinary and uncompromised flavor. We'll be chatting to our long-standing suppliers, creative chef customers, inspiring influencers, and some of the UK's leading food experts to share adventures and stories behind our favorite ingredients, giving you an insight into our world of food. And this week, we're joined by Ben Tish, chef director of Cubit House, which includes the newly opened Princess Royal in Notting Hill, and Helen Graham, executive chef of Bubbler, Spitalfields, and soon-to-be Portland Street, to discuss the pros and cons of restaurant and pub life and the marvel of Mediterranean and Middle Eastern ingredients. Welcome to Flavor Talks with Bella Zoo. And this week, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Ben Tish and Helen Graham. Uh, ben is the chef director of Cubit's House, and um, has just you've just opened Princess Royal in Notting Hill, haven't you, Ben? Is, was... Yes, yeah, that's right. Um, we officially opened to the public on Friday last week, um, but we've had a couple of weeks of kind of soft openings and all that kind of business. But yeah, no, it's um, I've done se- several openings. Things in my time, there's always lessons to be learned, but yeah, it's been it's been generally very good. Oh, we're going to come on to that. Don't worry, yeah. <laughs> we're going to we're going to we're going to touch on that. And uh, Helen is the executive chef of Bubbler um, in Spitalfields and soon to be Poland Street. Please tell me I pronounced Bubbler correctly, Helen. Yeah, you did. Not many people do, so it's muzzle top. <laughs> I've always said Bubbler, but nearly, nearly there. <laughs> I know I've given you a quick introduction, but if you could just tell uh, people a little bit about yourselves, it's, it's just so feel free to, to say whatever you wish about yourselves. And uh, Ben, if you'd like to start. Sure. Um, yeah. So as you, as you said, I am currently chef director of Cubit House Group, which is a group of central London pubs uh, that are currently, uh, well, sorry, will be um, uh, closed down and refurbished and reopened at some stage over the next year to 18 months. And we're also uh, acquiring... Um, other pubs as well, so Princess Royal, and then we've got a, another two or three in the pipeline. Uh, one in Mayfair in um, in September, so that's that's the next one called the Barley Mo. And yeah, so so my role is yeah to look after all things food and kitchen, um, and and also a bit of stra- strategy with the other directors. Um, I am also a food writer, um, and I love writing about Mediterranean food and and stuff. So. That's kind of my passion um, in the in the food world. Yeah, my my history, my, my my food history has been largely kind of cooking Italian and Mediterranean food. Um, yeah, that's 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 my passion. Um, I am the executive chef of Bebola. Um, it's a um, vegetarian slash vegan um, Middle Eastern restaurant in Spitalfields. And we opened in September 2019, just about to open a new site in Soho, Poland Street, at the end of May, which is cool. Um, and then before that, I was working at like a, a variety of like Middle Eastern restaurants around London, um, like the Palomar and the Barbary and the Good Egg. So, um, bub- so Bubbler is, it means, it means darling in Yiddish, is that right? Yeah, it does. And it's actually what my um, grandma used to call me, who lived um, literally around the corner from this site um, in Spitalfields, which is and, yeah, sweet. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, I mean, it's East London being, a, it was a very Jewish area, wasn't it, for, for quite a long time? Yeah, it was. It's where my um, grandma grew up when her family kind of emigrated from Russia. There was like eight of them living um, on Brick Lane um, wow. in two rooms. 
Um, and then Mark, similarly, his grandparents grew up just around the corner. It's, it feels quite like fitting that we're kind of back back here with um, with a restaurant named Bubbler. Yeah, kind of reflecting a bit of history. I mean, I lived I lived in Hackney yeah. for a good while, and and I, I, it, it, the the, the um, breadth of of immigration that it had over the years is, is extraordinary. I lived at, uh, near a place uh, called the German Hospital, which um, on Graham Road, which uh, was closed down now, but was literally. Uh, did what it said in the can. It was a hospital paid for, run by German immigrants, and I think even during World War One, um, it, it you know it still stayed open. I think World War Two was kind of that was it. They, that was when it was taken in house into, uh, and then afterwards it, in, into the uh, the NHS. But it is it. It's East London's amazing for that. Um, how so? How are you with um, with with the locals, um, Helen? I mean, it's kind of we, we're finding this a lot when we're talking to people. There's a new kind of movement of of localism. I mean, I, I know that restaurants particularly would would rely on them to some degree, and this this applies to you as well, Ben. Really, mm. um, I always remember my my cousin um, Richard ran a, a pub chain up in Cambridgeshire, Cam Cuisine, uh, for for quite a while, and he and the first pub they got, he tells his lovely story about his his business partner as they. They were they were doing the pub up and one of the locals came and stuck the head round the door and just sort of nodded and they, they said hello ex- exchanged pleasantries and then uh, the, the, the local sort of said uh, so what beer are you serving and my, my brother my cousin's business partner said well what beer do you want us to serve and the, he said well you know which, whichever one it was and they said well I'll make sure it's on and, and there's, there's a lovely um, it's just a, a lovely message that I think for so yeah. long so many chains kind of came in imposed what they wanted I mean is is that kind of your approach, finding out what the locals want and then and then uh, putting your mark upon it? I guess um, Spitalfield is quite a like funny area in that it's like a mix of offices, tourism. They're like um, so. I guess that would make up like the majority of our kind mm. of like weekday trade, and then the evenings. It, it's quite a mix of like people who've travelled to get here, after work drinks, and people from around here too. So it's a real, you kind of, um, you get a real mix through the doors. In terms of like catering to, so yeah, in terms of catering to like what the locals want, um, it's, it, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. It's really mixed. Um, and we kind of like knew what we wanted to bring. And we were like quite confident with that concept. So, and we've kind of been like testing Bubbler out as a pop-up before we opened. So when we did open here, we kind of, um, we knew what we were bringing, but we really did take on like a lot of customer feedback and a lot of like early conversations about what people wanted and the dining experience. So yeah, it has evolved, but yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not as simple as it being a, a, a local place. Ben, is it, is it the same for you? Is it, is, it a, uh, is it very, very diverse or is it a much more... Uh, and do, and do, you, do you go for, if, if it is different, do you go for those locals? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's, I'm in quite a different position now. I mean, traditionally, before kind of Cuba, you know, I, it was always kind of, it was, I, I was more kind of restaurants, West End, and I suppose, you know, with the West End, it's kind of destinational. So, so the locals... Whilst there still are locals, particularly when I had restaurants in, in Fitzrovia, it's quite residential there, but largely it, it was about, you know, destination offices, as, as kind of Helen was talking about, so, and, you know, tourists, et cetera, et cetera. But now, obviously, it's pubs. So, you know, pubs are, you know, they're, they're kind of their locals. And, and, and we aren't, you know, we aren't West End pubs, you know, okay, we're not, we're not 
your traditional boozer on the corner. We are in locations such as, you know, Belgravia, Notting Hill, um, you know, Marleybone, which, which are very residential. So when, so when we've done, take not, the Notting Hill one, for example, because that's fresh in my mind, we just opened that. It was a kind of six-month development pro- program, and, you know, we were getting people, locals on Hereford Road um, and that area. It's a really tight, you know, close-knit community, and they were really missing that pub because it's been so many different, you know, incarnations of, of the pub over the past five years. And they were desperate for it to, to reopen with something that, that they'd like. So they were always popping in and asking what we were going to do with it and what, you know, and say so what kind of beer we were going to do and, you know, what was the food going to be and all the rest of it. And we really, really went to town with them. You know, we, we kind of, there was times when, when it could be quite annoying. I'll be honest with you, because, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to get it off, this concept off the ground. Everybody wants to have put their two penneth in. However... These are the people that are going to be coming in on a Monday night or a Tuesday night or, you know, whatever it is and keeping that place buoyant through the week. And so and, and, and you want that community feel. So, yeah, we, we, we really, um, you know, and we invited them to the soft openings and, you know, made sure we got their feedback and all the rest of it. And, yeah, we, so we, built, we, we think we've it's early days, but we think we've built a, a bit of a relationship with that. And, and, that, and that's really important. And that will go for all the pubs because people like to use pubs, you know, three, four times a week if, if they like them. Um, and, and so that's, so that's, that's what we want. Yeah. So how long was it closed for the, the Princess Royal? So we took it on in the summer. Uh, let me think August time. Yeah, it's, so it, it, yeah, before that, it was a restaurant called Pomona's. Before that, it was a place called The Commander. And then it was something else before that. And then it was it was the Princess Royal at one stage. And then it was something else before that. But originally, it was always the Princess Royal back in the day. But yeah, we, we had it closed for like six, I think it was, well, since August. And we reopened at the beginning, of, you know, the end of March. So yeah, it was a big, it was, it was a big project. Um, yeah, it's got bedrooms and all the rest of it as well. So it's kind of, you know, it's, 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 it's a big old lump of a place. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, which leads me beautifully on to this little section of questions I've got written down. And I clearly do not want figures. I'm not prying in that sense. But I mean, right. opening pubs, opening restaurants, I mean, it, it, it cannot be cheap. But I mean, how expensive is it? What's the best part of doing it? What's the, what's the worst part? Well, I think that, well, there's three questions there. Um, yeah, go ahead. Whoever wants to jump in first. It is very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> there's no doubt about that. And there's yeah. always like surprise um, hidden costs, which are fun. What are the best bits? What are the worst bits? I think, well, Ben has a lot more experience than me in terms of like opening restaurants but having gone into open spitalfields it was kind of i mean i've worked at a lot of like openings but i think opening your own place is is very different and it's always kind of quite a last minute like you know it's a building site and then it's open the next day i mean everything that could go wrong did go wrong i like exploded the coffee machine all over the electrics um so (laughs) That's a good you know, one. Everything kind of went down, like the till system and the Wi-Fi and everything that everyone had kind of set, spent hours setting up. Yeah, it's it's very stressful. The coffee machine is right up there with me putting a nail through the central heating and then having the goal to blame the central heating engineers for not having done their job properly uh, as, as, the ce- <laughs> as the ceiling got wetter and wetter. So I, I sympathise on that one. Yeah, so yes, I mean, agreed. Very, very expensive. I mean, I was just couldn't concur with Helen you know lots of uh, hidden costs even after having done it you know I said at the beginning 
you know, opened a few places now, and there's always things that are just, you know, you cannot, you just cannot plan for. I mean, the, the, so, so yes, it's ex, expensive, and it, and you know, we, um, I think, what happened. I'm just, this is half half answering the question, half rant because um, it's fresh in my <laughs> mind. But um, I, you know, we, it's, it's the second time it's happened to me actually, and I didn't learn my lesson the first time. Is I inherited um, some equipment in the kitchen um some and you know got it got it all uh looked at and refurbed and you know we said okay if it's not if it's not good and it's not working well then we'll just get new and all that you know contractors checked it yep it's perfect all the rest of it and as soon as we started cooking like the first week everything broke and that's the second time that's happened to me in in a restaurant where i've inherited it thought you know okay i'll save a few quid that is but anyway so it will not happen again but that's bad so we've got some kit that's still not working fryer that's not working um and we're waiting for it and everything at the minute takes so long to get you know if you order an oven you know gone are the days of you getting it in two weeks it's like you know 12 week lead time so there's all those things just just because we're in a different world i also find quite the, the annoying phase for me on a opening is once you've gone through this kind of big build and you know refurbishment and all the rest of it, and then there's that period where the builders kind of leave. There's probably one or two left, and it's that whole snagging period. And you go around and there's all these little loose ends to tie up and snags. Mm-hmm. And for me, that is the most annoying stage because you just want to get then properly to where you're fully open and everything's done. Yet there's no, you know, there's perhaps one builder left there to do all these snags, and I don't know. I just find that fate, and you know, and it's just kind of pulling your hair out. You've had enough at that stage; mm. you just want yeah. to get off. Yeah. So that's that for me is that that for me is really really frustrating. And also this time, worse, more so than ever. You know, obviously the I'm not going to go into to too much detail about staffing and 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 people because we all know it's a chat you know chefs and so on. It's a challenge at the minute, but it was particularly mm-hmm. challenging this time um, trying to find people. And, you know, we had a full team a um, couple of weeks before we opened. And by the time we actually got to the opening, you know, we'd probably got about a third of it, just simply because people decided not to show up or do something else, you know, and it was just, that was, so that was, that, that was quite challenging. But, but the good side, you know, the, the, the positives and so on of, of an opening are, you know, once you get that first week of soft openings out of the way and you've kind of, you know, you've tweaked and the team are tired but elated, you know, because of... Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and the feedback's been good. And, you know, you've built a restaurant from scratch. There's no feeling like it. You know, there, there, there isn't. You know, having opened a few places, you know, and, and not learning all the lessons, that's one side of it. But never, never fail to feel, you know, absolutely amazing after the first week of opening, you know, when it's gone well. So, yeah. So on the whole, you do enjoy it then? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a sucker for punishment, I think, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I do enjoy it, yeah. I mean, you know, it's tiring, you know, it's tiring as you get older, you know, it, you, know, you know, those 60, 70 hours or whatever it is a week, you know, for those, that, for, it, 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 it's incredibly challenging, you know, just being there. But yeah, I do enjoy it. I mean, it's, 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 it's brilliant. And working with the head chefs and the team and seeing how, you know, particularly when it's their first opening, you know, seeing, you know, seeing how they're, you know, so excited and, you know, nervous, excited and so on. It's, it's, it's not, there's nothing like it in, in, in the hospitality. So, so just, just, I mean, just quickly, I hadn't, I hadn't written anything down about this, but since you've touched upon the subject, what, in terms of staff, both of you, if, if we are, and we know we're talking about um, Brexit, really, um, mm. well, we try not to mention it, but it does rear its ugly head. What, how are you doing for staff? I mean, what are you finding? Are you finding people are coming from different parts of the world or are you, uh, are English, are the 
the British kind of, uh, are they finding an interest in, in working in kitchens? Um, I think like Brexit is part of it, but I think COVID is also a big part of it too. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah. Um, and I kind of think COVID has, has like, feels like it's really had a massive part in making people kind of question whether they want to be doing this job whether mm. they want to be kind of like in kitchens 50, 60 hours a week, mm. kind of cooking someone else's food. Um, I think I've seen a lot of people kind of open their own businesses. We're getting a lot of like chefs through the door who want part-time roles only because they want to, mm. you know, they want to do their own thing outside. So it's well, like the struggle we're having at the moment is is um, getting people in full time. So and getting kind of people in and at a more junior level is tough. It's been hard, but it's also just it's been hard right from the start. It was hard just when we we opened six months before COVID. But yeah, it's definitely it's definitely got harder. It's going to be interesting recruiting for Soho. And um, like we've got a lot of the senior people kind of in place, but gonna kind of start recruiting quite soon yeah same i mean same same story and i i completely agree you know you know brexit is a part of it but covid i think is probably a bigger part of it you know the you know people rethinking of their careers and you know do they want to be in the industry and all the rest of it and and you know being able to you know and even if they're still interested in food and that there's different ways to make money out of it you know other than you know doing 50 60 hours a week in kitchen you know you can you know, food styling, and I don't know. Everybody, everybody, everybody kind of is diversified and, and seen. It's there's there's much more out there, even in the food world, than there is being a chef. So it has affected it. We are, yeah. I mean, we are we are struggling for staff. Same same story. We've got very good senior team that are holding things together at the minute. Um, and because we've got quite a big operation here, we have big, quite a big. Um, I'm building the operations team. You know, so we're lucky enough to have you know a couple of exec chefs and 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 a, and a, and a, and a we have an opening chef. Because we're going to be closing and reopening the pub, so um, and then we and then we have a, a, a you know a group pastry chef and things like that. So they're kind of like you know, holding holding the whole thing together. But chef, you know that lower level is incredibly tough to get people. And you know I think it's about just about getting them in, getting them through the door as well. You know we we just it's so many people not showing up, you know, not just not yeah. showing up for interviews, that, but that, that that have been booked. That's that for me is. Yeah. I still can't get my head around it, although it's been, it just happens all the time now. I just still cannot, cannot understand it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's just the... I, I mean, our, our inaugural yeah. podcast was with, was with Jackson Boxer and Jeremy Lee, and they were both saying the same thing. And in fact, Jackson yeah. was kind of saying that the, the, uh, one of the things he finds is just, um, it's just uh, supporting people. It's just he's, he's finding he's having to just go that extra mile with, with just saying, look, you know, you've had a terrible day. You, you know, this is a new business to you. Come on, just power through it because people are just kind of going. This is ridiculous because it because it is hard. I mean, there's no two ways about it. The the, the hours are antisocial to the vast majority of society, and and yeah. and, and they yeah. they're huge. And they both talked about um, they were change they're slowly changing their work practice to to make it more yeah. um, inviting. Is that something you're both perhaps gonna find yeah. you have to do? I mean, I, I mean, we are, you know, we, we, we are. I mean, our new, you know, we, we, we you know, we, we are really competitive um, in terms of pay and, and so on. And we're just doing another pay review now. So it's a really, you know, we really pay at the, at the higher end of the, the spectrum. So we're doing that. And contracts for, you know, it's 45-hour week contracts. Um, so, you know, that's what we want people to work. But, of course, because there's no chefs around, everybody is doing more. 
you know, than that. So it's a bit of a, you know, it, you know, we're, we're saying people want everybody to have a nice work-life balance, and everybody wants that. Who comes from the top? You know, I, I, I want. I don't want to be doing any more than forty-five hours a week. You know, it's. Yeah. I just don't. You know, I've, I've, I've kind of done that, and I don't want my team to be doing it. Everybody's having to do more than that because there's no people around. But we are setting ourselves up to, to, to be that company that you can come, you get paid well, you get work-life balance, all the rest of it. And we want people to stay with us for, you know, certainly the next, you know, five or six years, you know, which, which is our plan and beyond. You know, we want, yeah. we want to build that, that kind of that culture. But, um, yeah, it's a slow burner, to be honest. It is. It is. Well, which is why I asked the question. It because it, it's fascinating. I mean, it is. It is fascinating. It, it's. Um, I know. It's. I know. It's. You know. There's a bit of a. There's, there's a negative connotation to it. But. But still, it's. 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 It's very. Very interesting. Just to. To see how everybody is. Is coping. Uh, like you said, with with Brexit and and with COVID. Helen, what about you? Um. Yeah. We. We're also kind of like offering competitive salaries. We are making sure people don't work more than three nights a week and then we're kind of like offering lots of perks like cross price wine and like birthdays or a paid day off and um yeah variety of other perks too yeah i think also in terms of like offering like extra mentorship extra support for the staff extra incentives and like really regularly like checking in with people because it is a it's a really tough job it's really intense I don't know. It's kind of like since I became the exec, you kind of see like the other side of things more and the other side of the business. So it's kind of like communicating that to the staff as well, like telling them yeah. about reviews, yeah. telling them about what's going on in the press. And I, um, I, I, like, I think that's really important. Being transparent, isn't it? You know, yeah. about what's business. And yeah, I think that's really important. And kind of like helping them see like beyond beyond the kitchen beyond the lacquers um mm. but that's part of the t- that, that, that's part of team building isn't it in, in the, which is just to involve people more and and to get them to kind of you know you share the good you share the bad and you and you feel like a unit um i mean that that's essentially what you i hope that's essentially what you're talking about isn't it yeah totally totally yeah. i think transparency is is really important yeah yeah. And then, and then the fun bit. So, um, so when you're um, when you're developing menus, um, whether that is uh, developing for a new place or changing f- for the season, I mean, how much how much research do you do? And does that research do you like that research to involve travel? Uh, uh, Helen, let's go to you first this time. I kind of when I'm writing a menu, it will kind of be a mixture of fragments of things that I've remembered on on holidays or that's inspired me or just kind of like ideas that come into my head or things that I've kind of like found on Kilburn High Road that I found like quite inspiring um, in one of the kind of like Middle Eastern shops. It's kind of like a, just a really a mishmash of like whatever's happening in my brain. But um, generally when I'm on holiday, I'm just trying to have a nice time and eat delicious stuff and and not focus on work too much. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I mean, our development chef Henry's uh, taken a three-month sabbatical out, and he's he's travelling around mm. Spain. His, his his Instagram is just driving me mad at the moment. It's just <laughs> food, food, food. Uh, ben. Yeah, I mean, I um, I think things have changed for me a little bit, I suppose, um, over the past couple of years, and and with, and with this, with, and now with with what we're doing at Cubit House. So I guess my role now is really finding um, and working with a head chef who has the idea you know I, I kind of set the parameters of a concept so Marlebone pub 
Coachmaker's Arms, British Chop House. So, you know, take inspiration from, you know, Quality Chop House, Hawksmoor, bits and bobs like that. Um, and so, and then really then kind of working with the, chef, the head chef on the menu or get the head chef to, to, to produce the menu. So they're kind of in, they're kind of mostly in charge of developing and the creativity because that's what they want to do. Do you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I definitely have my input and, and guidance and, direction um but it's the chefs that are kind of doing going to kind of do the creative research mainly but i suppose but like the notting hill one that was that was me i mean i still liked you know i still do when it comes to the mediterranean side of things you know i'd be lost if i didn't create the odd menu here and there or kind of write about it so i kind of very much did that i took charge of that only because i also didn't have a head chef for that place at the time but We've, we've got a really good one now who will run with that menu. Um, he gets it completely and he's worked in the right places. But yeah, so I, so I, I kind of have a different look at it, look at things really. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's slightly different from where I was a few years ago where I'd be, you know, all about, you know, the, re- the research and so on. But, but writing books is, is another thing. So that's much, much more, you say, about the traveling and get really getting into it. So I'm currently just start, starting work on a, on a new book obviously Mediterranean um, stuff about Mediterranean so at the minute I'm really researching that in terms of other books and I'm going to be going traveling later this year in Greece and all the rest of it so that for me is really exciting but that's not really the restaurants that's 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 my other side of things yeah the other side of things I mean because you love you've got a thing about Sicily haven't you You adore Sicily yeah absolutely I mean I love Sicily I mean I just that was my last book was about Sicily and yeah I I, I love it I mean you know it's not the only you know it's just it was um my, my book before that, I quoted Sicily in it quite a lot. My publisher said, well, clearly you've got a, 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 a soft spot for Sicily. And I said, yeah, I have, yeah. And I'd just been going quite a lot through work, but also just because it's a great place to go on holiday. Uh, it, you know, really, it's a, re- a great place. And so a book, like, so there was a book that, that just happened pretty quickly out of that because I've got it, I've got all the stuff and the recipes and and all that kind of thing so yeah that that was that was um i, I do i do have a, a a fascination with sicily but also there are other parts of the mediterranean you know, i just love the whole mediterranean to be honest you know that whole the whole vibe so to be fair there's a lot to love there's a lot to love yeah <laughs> there's a lot i mean oh, there's a hell of a lot to love you <laughs> there, there really is i mean we've, yeah, i mean i'm looking at yeah. <laughs> don't mm. we all um, particularly <laughs> if it's gone cold again i mean i mean i've been to um uh, I mean, I've been to Sicily uh, with work, so we went to we went to to, to see a Nocciolara uh, del Belice harvest, yeah, uh, nice. which, which was it was fantastic, and I'd never been before, and I was struck by just how rugged the place is actually, which I was not expecting. It's you know quite mountainous and and yeah. uh, and rocky, but I I think um, the the thing that I, that I found, I mean, you, you can imagine um, working for a food company. I quite like food. But yeah. it is the, I think it's the one time in my life when, uh, because, because we kept visiting suppliers who kept feeding us, but about halfway through the second meal we were given, I was just begging for people to stop bringing food out for us. It, yeah. was, it, it was just unbelievable. Um, the, the, the sort of pièce de résistance being um, a full cooked octopus appearing oh. on on the table in uh, sort of north, southwest of, well, I can't remember where it was. It's, it's the place where they've, they've got the Greek temples. Beautiful, but it's a fantastic place. You said they've got the best vegetables in the world. Uh, I believe that's a quote of yours. Um, is that true? 
Uh, I think it is. I mean, I'm sure there'll be people that, that, that question me. I think what's good about it, is, you know, it's the fact that um, like the tomatoes, it's not, I wouldn't say all the vegetables are the best of the world, but, you know, like tomatoes, they've got amazing tomatoes, amazing aubergines and kind of courgettes and, and things like that. And I think a lot of it is to do with the volcanic uh, soil you know that it just works it's not just the volcanic soil it's the you know the fact it's an island it's a microclimate on the island and the sea and the sea air and all the rest of it but i tell you what it's the, the veg not only are they the you know i think some of the tastiest vegetables in the world but just the size that they get to you know and they're just like bigger and they're just huge bright you know they're just like nothing nothing you see in in the uk and so yes i stand by that that statement that, that, <laughs> sorry you know, i wasn't that, challenging it i was no no no, was... <laughs> no 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 I, I mean they are good and, and when you're there you know it's you know what it's like you go to somewhere in the mediterranean or somewhere really nice and you kind of sat there in the sun you know had a glass of wine already or whatever and you're and you're eating a tomato and it is, you know, you, you just feel it's the best thing ever, don't you? You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Well, you do, yeah. but I mean, I, you know, and the other thing that um, I find, and I say this a lot, the other thing I find extraordinary is they just, you know, the, um, the Italians particularly just don't waste any land. You know, whereas over here we might have a, you know, a silly little corner of grass that the council have to yeah. mow. There's nothing like that. They're always growing something, whether it be a few vines or an olive tree. Absolutely, it, it, yeah. So yeah, no, I love that as well. And and also in the, in their cooking, the, you know, you, you know, they don't and get Sicily. They just do not waste anything. And I know we're all that's out what everybody talks about now. But they literally don't waste a single thing. You know, if there's any pasta left after a a, a, a meal of pasta, that will get utilised straight away into something else for the next day. And I don't know. I just think they're frugality is um is is incredible you know and and yeah. you know it's born out of years of poverty i suppose but yeah very very impressive well there's a lot to learn from that to be honest yeah. I, I think they're probably going to rear its head again um helen have you i mean have you got any have you got any one place that you've got a strong affinity with or is it is it more of a region i would say like well ever since i've kind of been a kid um tel aviv is somewhere that i have you know visitors every summer and that, I guess, would inform like kind of most of my cooking, most of my inspiration. The food there is just incredible. It is, uh, I mean, yeah, the, the veg is just so fresh and, and so tasty. And there's just such creativity there, too. Um, there's obviously like influence from kind of like around the Middle East, um, but also Asia, too. So you get kind of like, a lot of Asian cooking techniques, but with kind of Middle Eastern flavors and using kind of like a Middle Eastern pantry, which I just find so interesting, so exciting. So yeah, that's a definitely a place I keep going back to and, and finding more and more inspiration. Yeah, I've, I've heard great things about Tel Aviv. I mean, even just the the differing types of hummus you can get um, and, and the, the, the tahini as well. Uh, it's apparently extraordinary because uh, obviously when we were looking for the tahini, uh, Tel Aviv was was a, the kind of the first place we went to. Have you found that the same that, that it's 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 you know the they um, uh, it, it, you can you can get a, a, so many different types and and every restaurant seems to serve it and also it's it, apparently it's eaten for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, so like in in Israel, you get um, places that just serve hummus. It's, it's taken extremely seriously. 
um, and they will just kind of specialize in that and offer kind of like a few toppings and it will just be packed from morning until dusk. And it's interesting because it's kind of a, you know, a community space. It brings all kind of people together. It's kind of like the one food that unites people. When I go to Tel Aviv, I'm, I'm, I eat a lot of hummus. <laughs> a lot. And why would you not? Yeah, indeed. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, um, I mean, onto the, onto the restaurants. I mean, so, um, Bubbler is, uh, I think you describe as accidentally vegetarian. Um, the Princess Royal and, and the other pubs are omnivorous. Um, so you, you've both kind of elevated vegetables from, from, from being sides. Do you think we've still got a long way to go in the UK on using veg properly, so rather than seeing it as a, as, as a, a, a just a, a, an accompaniment that elevating them to uh, upfront and celebrating them? Do, or are we, are we getting better? When we opened, kind of, there were not very kind of higher end kind of vegetarian restaurants around. And we kind of really saw that and thought that was something new that we could bring to the market. I think like in, there's a lot of development going on in terms of kind of fake meats. And every kind of day I'm seeing like a new um, vegetarian burger, which is cool. There's definitely a market for that. Um, it's not something that Bubbler does. Wig, our kind of ethos is, you know, no substitutes, so no fake meat or anything like that. We just kind of want to showcase vegetables. So I do, I'd like, I'd love to see more of that around and more, more focus on kind of veg and not just kind of things that stand in for meat. But yeah, I th there's space for everything within the market for sure. But yeah, it's really interesting kind of like people's reception to us as well like when we first opened there was people would come in look at the menu realize there's no meat there and kind of walk out we used to get emails being like ah uh, i know you're vegetarian but do you mind if you if i bring in a chicken breast you know, just add that on to my lunch um <laughs> like a lot of emails like that actually or there would be like and you know some a party of four and one person livid that they couldn't have a steak but we're kind of getting that less and less we act like we actually get a lot of people often who come in and at the end of the meal they're like oh that was vegetarian i didn't i didn't kind of realize it's not something that registered you know that was really delicious and it's not despite being vegetarian it's like no that was just kind of great which is kind of really where we want to be so yeah i, I definitely see attitudes change changing yeah, I mean, it's culture, though, isn't it? It's what we've been, it, you know, for the last 50-odd years, we've, we've been brought up with, like, you have to have meat, meat to veg. That, that's kind of where we've been for a long, long time. It's, it's not going to change overnight, but it, it's, it's good to hear that it, uh, it is changing. Ben, are you finding the same? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, the, 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 I think there's, cl there's clearly a way to go, but we, we've definitely got uh, much better. And, you know, we, I mean, I know, you know, even from kind of, take the pubs uh, where we are, for example, you know, traditionally, you know, pubs with kind of veg vegetarian options are, you know, the last thing that you think about, but we've really developed the menus here. So there are several options and I, 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 you know, I, I, I really like vegetarian food. I mean, I, I, and, and, and vegan food, you know, I try and, as a lot of people are starting to do now, I, I don't eat meat anywhere near as much as I used to, um, you know, so 
probably once a week I will have meat um, and fish, you know, once or twice a week. The rest is is veg. Is, is veg. So I, I really enjoy that. And I and I always, you know, I've always liked vegetarian dishes. So I've really, I really push the guys within the group to make, to be kind of creative. And so it's not just, you know, some boring, you know, couple of vegetarian options, but they'd be really creative and, and so on. And, and, you know, we've got great suppliers that help with that, you know, so like the Toro and, you know, they, they, that really kind of helps things um, because you just can't, can't fail to be inspired by the stuff that they've got. And, you know, we're, all the chefs are on their app, so they know what's in season and what's coming and, you know, and all that kind of thing. And they get kind of quite excited. So I think the suppliers are really helping that, helping the whole process of that. Yeah. I mean, and, and I've asked this of, of, of a few of our guests, um, actually. And uh, do you both worry about authenticity or, or is it more important to be faithful to the style rather than the, the actual dish? Yeah, I, I, I do. I do worry. And I'm very conscious of kind of um, crediting kind of the heritage of a dish and acknowledging like the inspiration and the history. And that's something that I take the time to kind of explain in briefings. We've got a dish on at the moment, a celeriac masachin. Um, it's based on like a, a chicken masachin that's kind of a Palestinian dish. So I, I really kind of educate the staff on that. And I think it's important that that's acknowledged. I think authenticity is important. And I think it's important to give a dish its credit. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, um, I mean I've always kind of Put a, I guess, just naturally put a spin on a dish. I mean, some some dishes that we use are all kind of authentic and you know, kind of based very much on a traditional recipe and so on. And 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 so yes, we'll shout about that. But I think with my with my with my writing and so on, I've always you know, like the the last my last book, Sicilia and about Sicily. You know, I you know the book the the recipes were. I'd say probably 80% were my spin on Sicilian dishes. And, you know, I got a lot of, <laughs> I got a lot of feedback um, about that from Sicilians who were like, you know, this is sacrilege and all that kind of thing, which, you know, is fair enough. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm very um, upfront at the fact that, you know, this is, this is this inspired by Sicily and, you know, and that kind of, you know, so it's my spin on it. And perhaps, a, you know, a dish that you, that you eat directly in Sicily not really reflect would would not translate that well in you know the west end of london you know what i mean so yeah i i i yeah i've i'm all I, yeah i'm more kind of inspired by um but and keeping keeping it like that i think well i mean there's, there's a reason i keep coming back to that question because i think it's really interesting we, we live in a in a kind of a magpie country where we just we, mm. we for different reasons for immigration and blah 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 we but we've got so many different styles going on and, and i think it's i i love uh going to try stuff which is properly authentic but then, mm-hmm. I, but then, um, I mean, you know, I know that um, Morrow is one of your favourite cookbooks. I mean, and and, and there's um, which one of mine as well. Um, I, I didn't even know the, the restaurant existed, and then I, I picked up the book. But um, I, I love that kind of. I mean, that's a classic fusion. That's a or that's a, a sort of North African Spanish fusion. And there's there's something lovely about sort of tasting uh, them in their purest state and then kind of playing around with them. Um, so I mean, I can see why you'd get lots of feedback because <laughs> let's yeah. be honest, the the, the Italians, they, the, if you go five miles, they say they've got the wrong recipe. Yeah, so. no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's all, all all quite fun actually. But yeah, no, I think you know, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm I, you know, I've spent a lot of time traveling around and holidaying in these countries, and you know, but I've never, you know, I've never kind of worked there or or lived there, and so mm. it almost not authentic to be 
authentic. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. I do, I do, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's about. It, I, I mean, I think it is about being faithful to the style, um, r- mm, rather yeah. than obsessing about yes, having yeah. ev- every last thing. Ben, you've written a few cookbooks. Uh, Helen, are you? I heard on the grapevine you might be planning one. <laughs> is that yeah, true? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully, I'd love to write a bubble of cookbooks. So. Have you, yes. Well, have you got any tips, Ben? Is it anything that makes the the whole process easier, or is it just a question of getting your heads down and get stuck in? You are, is there anything that makes it easier? Uh, I mean, not not really. Not really. I mean, you still have to kind of, you know, you still have to write recipes. You still have to, you know, you still have to test them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Having a good one thing I found is having a good group of friends that are willing to try the recipes out for you i mean the publisher a publisher will will have that facility as well or put it out there but i think it's always worth particularly nowadays not that recipes shouldn't work but you know people are really into food and cooking who buy these books and you know you want to make sure the recipes work yeah i know that sounds obvious but you know but you know i think you can't um get away with being a bit kind of bit wonky with the recipes that <laughs> you know because i think i think that you know cookbooks used to be like that so i think recipes really need to work and as many people that can try the recipes before the book is published the better i'd say um and then that, that that's something that I've, I've i've you know and that was actually i i got some advice from um Otolenghi years ago yeah he's, he's quite a good pal of mine now and he helped me with my very first cookbook which was salt yard um, when i was at salt yard and he gave me some advice and that was one of the tips and he also said he said never he said never try your recipes out in the restaurant do them at home and never get your stuff from um never get your products from um a supplier get them from the supermarket or a good you know somewhere that you see you yeah. do the journey that somebody at home would do you cook it you go to the shop whichever shop that is and then you, you cook it at home and you do it like that and they're 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 the, they're the three things he said to me and that's kind of I've, I've stuck with that so that's a great little insight it really is yeah yeah well you, you can have those for free helen that did thank you <laughs> yeah <laughs> if i sell as many books as Otolenghi, then then i won't need to do 70 hours a week in the kitchen okay. <laughs> yeah, there is that <laughs> um so ben for you if there was one mediterranean dish we should try what would it be helen if there's one middle eastern dish we should try what would it be helen i'm going to you first I just, you know, hummus is just incredible and I don't think I'll ever really get over it. (laughs) Um, And there's so many kind of iterations too, like there's, you know, so many different kinds of hummus and so many different kinds of toppings. So I don't know, there's hot hummus, smooth hummus, really chunky hummus, there's hummus with full, there's um, all sorts. Um, So I'm saying hummus. Thomas, fair enough. Uh, ben? Okay, so, I, I, I mean, I am, uh, I would say, bar- uh, barbecued sardines, simply because, for me, that 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 epitomises Mediterranean, like the smell of that, particularly when, you know, you go to Mediterranean anywhere, particularly in the, in the summer, and they're barbecuing sardines down on the kind of the harbour or near the beach, mm-hmm. um, and just finish with, you know, be- you know, you know, sardines aren't for everyone, but if you, when you try them there like that, they just kind of transport you to kind of another place, you know, finished with lemon, sea salt, lots of extra virgin olive oil. I just think it's one of the, one of the nicest things and epitomises the Mediterranean for me. 
Yeah. Well, I'm liking both those answers so far. Uh, okay, is is there a dish that you've tried at the restaurants that just doesn't translate to the UK, or that you've wanted to try that you know will not translate? Yeah, I suppose um, I've tried. You know, so tripe is. <laughs> Well, yeah, people do have it on on the, on the menus in in the UK as well, yeah. but I don't know. It's just I've you know I had it. In, I wrote about it in my last book, and it's obviously it's a very Sicilian thing. It's a very you know Mediterranean thing, and I've tried yeah. it in the restaurant, and it just doesn't. It just doesn't. You know, for, for, it, yeah, people just don't like it. Um, it doesn't sell. Um, it's incredibly labour intensive because you have to wash it and all these kind of things. And so, no, it's, it's not... I, I've tried it, it didn't work, basically. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I laugh simply because, for me, uh, tripe is... The, where, I used, where I grew up in, in, uh, in Halifax, uh, the, we were opposite some old people's flats, and sort of during the 70s and early 80s, you'd often just... You could just smell tripe being mm. cooked in every single flat. So yeah. that, that was what that laugh was about. Um, Helen? A lot of, like, a lot of the kind of dishes I've tried in in Tel Aviv are just so simple and so pared back but so incredible um and that would kind of just be based on like this the strength of I don't know the vegetables and the I don't know what it is some sort of alchemy of just being somewhere beautiful and hot so I like it's kind of like all the simple kind of pared back dishes just don't really translate here so kind of all the dishes that we have on the menu are quite complex and quite involved and do involve like a lot of process. I, yeah. I get that. George, George, our founding director, always used to say, because um, he, he, he loved Lambrusco, as I do. I, I love Lambrusco, uh, which you mm. obviously come from Modena. And he said yeah. the thing about it, it just doesn't taste the same in England. It, you need the sun. Yeah. 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 Right, the very last question. If you had a couple of nights off, which restaurant would you visit? And I'm going to go to Helen first. I would go to Plonk. It's a kind of, I think they're calling it a wine club slash restaurant um, in Hoxton. Um, And the head chef is a guy called Sebastian Myers. Um, And it's just the most incredible food um, I've had probably of like all of last year. Um, each dish was like really standout, um, and the wine was amazing too. And um, the decor was like quite unusual and cool. Yeah, I would go. I would go back there again and again. Excellent. Yeah, I think um, I was trying to think actually. I've had some quite quite good meals recently, but I would say um, because it's not a restaurant I'd, I'd, I'd go to normally. We just happened to go on it on, on at the weekend, actually. It was um, one called Maison Francaise, which is in um, St. James's. And honestly, it's it's not my normal kind of food. It's very rich. It's very, um, it's proper French butter cream. Um, they've got a dessert trolley with tart tan on and all homemade things. and But honestly, it's just such an amazing place. Um, and I thought the service was absolutely second to none. And everything was absolutely incredible and delicious for a treat. That is that is the place. And, and, and also, they do this amazing thing on, on a Sunday where all their wines over £100, which is obviously quite expensive, over £100, on a Sunday lunch of 50% off, which I think is a really good idea as well. Um, mm. So you can get an amazing bottle of wine. Um, and uh, honestly, food, the food is absolutely really technical as well. They do like eggs in jelly. Um, they do like, you know, pate en croute. And it's all like proper, 
it's really good. Can't can't recommend it enough. Wow, that sounds it does it does sound fantastic. Listen, I need to let you go back to prepping right. now. Unfortunately, um, I, I've really enjoyed that. Uh, be, being somebody who who doesn't really um, do restaurants that much, it's it's always it's fascinating to find out how chefs think and, and and what it is that drives them. So so thank you very much, Ben Tish and Helen Graham. Have a lovely day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to leave a rating and review. We'd really appreciate you taking the time to let us know what you think. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and LinkedIn, or go to bellazoo.com. Thank you very much for listening and hope you can join us next time. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.